From Schwartz Media, I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. The first week of the referendum campaign started with an unmistakable voice, John Farnham. His iconic hit is now the anthem for yes voters who say their vote is about being on the right side of history. For no voters, the ad is superficial, pandering to emotions rather than giving concrete reasons to support the voice. Meanwhile, tactics from the opposition have included pitching a second referendum and undermining the Yes campaign's ad by pointing to a key lyric. Today, contributor to The Monthly and Yorta Yorta man Daniel James on the early day strategies of both camps and the potential for things to become more toxic as the campaign goes on. It's Friday, September 8. Daniel, the Yes campaign kicked off with this flashy new ad soundtrack by John Farnham's iconic song, You're the Voice. It's been everywhere, talked about a lot. How has that ad been received? Uh, the first 48 hours of the ad, I would suggest, was um, met with a combination of rage okay. <laughs> and um, euphoria. Uh, rage from uh, proponents of the Conservative No campaign and a degree of euphoria from uh, Yes campaigners. Mm. The ad itself starts off with a Liberal Party held a vote card for the 1967 referendum. But the part that really struck me with it was the section in which um, it covered the gun buyback campaign under the Howard government, which I think was a message to people that see the ad that... Um, uh, radical things can be achieved in this country for the better of us all mm. if we give them a go. Mm. And so I think the, the ad tried to really sort of walk that very fine line of trying to unify us by showing both sides of the political spectrum taking risks and achieving things on behalf of the country. Mm. And what was there to be enraged by from the no voters? <laughs> it's an interesting question. I think they were actually spooked by it. I think it's such a powerful ad and, and given permission by an Australian icon to use his version of that song. Which is an uncomfortable sort of tension, right? It is. You know, uh, John Farnham is former Australian of the year. He is someone that is, um, as far as we know, apolitical and also someone that's like deep within the heart of many people across the country with his own recent sort of health battles. And we've seen the outpouring of love for him during that time. Um, so for him to come out and take a stand and support the Yes campaign, I think was very, very confronting for the No campaigners because it remains to be seen, but maybe it is a turning point in the campaign itself. It certainly has seemed to have generated a degree of momentum for Yes. But I actually think that the way that the uh, the video um, and the ad was launched it was actually a missed opportunity. I think it was an opportunity to get together people from all over the country in a place like Sydney Hall in New South Wales in Sydney, where in 1938 we had the Australian Aborigines League and the Australian Aborigines Progressive Association meet and declare that January 26th should be a day of mourning. So to take it back to that place is also where um, Noel Pearson gave that incredible eulogy to Gough Whitlam. I think there was an opportunity there to launch it more broadly 
I think that the launch of it was actually kind of like, seemed like a bit of a star-studded affair, and that could have potentially played into the narrative around the voice being elitist. And the opposition leader, Peter Dutton, you know, pointed to the line in the song, try and understand it. And he, he used that to point to this idea that people don't understand the detail of the voice and that they're grappling with understanding what it is. You know, in a sense, it's the appropriate theme song for the Yes campaign, because I remember the, the key line uh, in the lyrics there is, uh, you know, you're the voice, try and understand it. And uh, I don't want to sing it. I don't want to break into verse with you here, Andrew. But I, I honestly don't think... I, I, don't think, I don't think most Australians understand it. And what do we know about how many Australians feel informed about this vote and what it's about? Well, whether they're informed or not, the polls are looking still particularly grim, showing at the moment that the Voice campaign is substantially behind in most of the polls leading into this campaign. Whether that's because people um, still don't understand the Voice, I think there's definitely a degree of that. Um, I think that the Yes campaigners are definitely trying to play on the emotional elements of the voice. But I think as the days go by with this referendum, um, which is still 30-odd days away, uh, I think the polls will tighten. Mm. It's a question of whether they'll tighten enough. Because what we're seeing from the Conservative No campaign is a very alarmist campaign, one full of uh, uh, hyperbole and... um, uh, misinformation. Mm. And this week, Marcia Langton was at Press Club and, and she spoke about some of the clever falsehoods that have been uh, weaponized, I suppose, in the referendum campaign. What did you make from what she had to say? As a descendant of the Yaman people who were massacred in the hundreds over decades of conflict, raised in Queensland under racist laws, and now in my 70s, It is clear to me that the winds of change blowing across our continent now are our last hope of surviving as the first peoples with any of our laws, cultures and languages intact. Well, her National Press Club speech on Wednesday was, as per usual, powerful. Australian voters have been deceived by the no case and by the relentless negativity and conned into believing that the referendum proposal will not lead to better outcomes. She uh, spoke expertly but also matter-of-factly. Facts, not fictions, are crucial in the public square. Our proposal takes nothing away from others. It does not give us any more power than the hundreds of other advisory committees. I think that the Conservative No campaign has been very apt at... um, hijacking to a certain extent the 24-hour news cycle Mm. and what we've seen throughout the course of the campaign to date is the Conservative Day campaign just throwing bombs at the news cycle and seeing what sticks. You know we've heard words like squalid, underbelly, maintain the rage thrown about. It's as if you know the frontier wars were still happening. We saw it last week when Warren Mundine was saying that he was a, a victim or being racially vilified by the Prime Minister. This Prime Minister from day one had attacked people who had a different opinion to him, called them names, and that opened up the floor for the whole division to start with all the horrible racial abuse, with all the horrible uh, uh, bigotry that's been going on out there, and it's all elbow. He's the one who started this. That got a run without being fact-checked for probably about 24 hours. Mm. 
and yet it feeds into the news cycle and it colours the picture for a lot of voters out there thinking about the referendum. After the break, why the opposition is pitching an idea for another referendum. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Daniel, the opposition have been very critical of the new Yes ad, of the voice, of the referendum in general. But Peter Dutton did start pitching an idea this week. He wants a second referendum if this one loses and if the coalition wins the next election. Can you tell me a bit about that idea and what you made of it? I think it's a case of trying to have the best of both worlds. But one of the main criticisms very early on from people like David Littleproud was that this referendum would do nothing practical for Aboriginal mm, people. That it would be symbolic It'd or be too symbolic. Too symbolic. Wouldn't do much for people in the bush. It would be run by a bunch of Canberra elites. Well, it seems to me that the referendum that they're proposing, which there is very little detail of, mm. by the way, would do less than nothing for Aboriginal people. Right. So it would also be a symbolic... Uh, proposal, which, which symbolic, and, and if that's the case, and that's fully contradicting, you know, their position on this referendum. Absolutely, it was one of the few times in the campaign where it was a unifying eye roll moment <laughs> when they both announced that uh, they, they wanted a second referendum. I think Jacinta Price was caught out by that. There's speculation that she wasn't aware that that announcement was going to be made. But I think um, after this campaign, I don't think people have the appetite for a second referendum anytime soon. And another line that we've seen from the opposition, especially from Peter Dutton, is this idea that Indigenous leaders or elders don't want the voice. Yeah. How do you think that is being sold and where, and where is that coming from? We're in East Arnhem Land, we've been in Palm Island, uh, we've been Alice Springs, Darwin, you name yeah. it. And we've spoken to a lot of Indigenous leaders. They don't believe that... A- Peter Dutton is very good at using the lines like, uh, the people I speak to. He, he always referring to the people that he speaks to. And one of the lines that he's been using is that the elders and the people that he speaks to are not in favour of the voice. Right. They don't believe that a, a sort of a, a, you know, a voice for the elites, uh, as some of them describe it, is going to deliver the practical outcomes for those yeah. kids and this incidents of domestic violence. Uh, well, where are those dialogues? How formal are those conversations? Is there a process there that's feeding into the Liberal Party's policy? Because we know with the Yes campaign, we had the Uluru dialogues and there has been so much conversation around that gathering in Uluru um, back in 2016, I believe. But 
What Dutton is saying is hearsay. We don't know who he's speaking to. There's no transparency. There's no about transparency. Where that, yeah. What those conver- the content of those conversations or who with. Exactly. We don't know uh, the context of those conversations. We don't know who's raising the topics. We don't know who's instigating the conversation. Mm. Um, whereas with the Yes campaign, it is well documented where the move for the Uluru Statement from the Heart has come from and where the push for the voice has come from. Mm. So it is, it's an ongoing tactic of the Conservative No campaign, and it's also something that Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine often do too, under the guise often that, um, you know, they're speaking to, to real Aboriginal people, people in the Northern Territory, um, not the elites down south, as they like to call some of us. And we're only early days into this referendum campaign, but we have already seen lies, outrage and racism dominate the debate. At the heart of it, I suppose, is the question of whether Australia is even ready to have this conversation once, let alone twice. Exactly. I've always thought that there will be two huge tells about this campaign and what sort of country we are and whether we're mature enough to have this conversation. One will be the outcome of the referendum. But preceding all of that, it is the way that we hold the debate and the conversation. And to date, the debate has become uh, toxic. It was toxic months ago. Mm. Um, I can only see it becoming more toxic over the course of the next few weeks. And one thing that I reflect on is some of the older Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander advocates that we have, not only at a national level, but at a state level and also at a local community level that are passionate about the yes voice. This may be their last roll of the dice. This might be the last significant bit of activism that they have in them and the thought of this referendum failing and then being left with that result is something that many of us within the community are very cognizant of and that we feel very, very sad of. Is it something that people will think about, the broader community will think about when they go to vote yes or no in the polling booth? Probably not. But there is so many different subtexts to this debate and to this conversation and the sadness that we saw from Marcia Langton at the National Press Club when she pleaded with the press to, you know, stop propagating misinformation. Our arguments have been entirely misrepresented by the No campaign and in much of the media Um, for a long time mostly because of ignorance of Indigenous Australia. Stop telling lies. Stop feeding lies. In this regard, I think the media has a responsibility to lift their game in reporting on these issues and not participate in pylons on persons who are good and decent people. You could hear it in her voice that... There's so much on the line for some of our our elders and our old people that this may be the last chance they get to see any reform. And the way things look at the moment, unfortunately for them and for for people who support the Yes campaign, it's looking a bit grim. Mm. And do you think the toll or the potential impact on First Nations communities is being taken seriously by the government? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's been taken seriously by... The government, we know it's certainly not being taken seriously by the federal coalition who have refused to meet with members from the Black Dog Institute, which is a uh, mental health agency 
that has gone to Canberra to meet with parliamentarians to plead with them to have this conversation, this national debate, in a dignified manner to try and take the heat out of the conversation that sees people um, racially vilified every day. Again, Marcia Langton at the National Press Club said that uh, members of the Yes campaign were receiving threats and she was saying that... um, that was happening to the senior leadership of the Yes campaign. It's happening to more than the senior leadership of the Yes campaign. It's happening to Aboriginal people everywhere. Not only are people victims of it, but they are witnessing their their loved ones, their friends, um, their fellow community members being attacked on a daily basis. And the debate has become so toxic that it seems now that when someone asks you out of a blue as a First Nations person why I should vote yes, it's almost kind of like being asked, why should you exist mm. in a way? And I think people are becoming very, very jaded by that and I think it is having a toll. We're forced to have two sides because of Peter Dutton and David Littleproud's stance on The Voice. And that's okay, that's their play. But don't underestimate for a second that the key strategy that they have in this debate is division. They talk about The Voice dividing the nation. But when you actually look at the facts, it's actually the heart of the Conservative No campaign to divide the country, to win the argument. Because the Conservative No campaign is a central element of the coalition's strategy to get back to government. Daniel, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today, Philip Lowe has admitted the Reserve Bank made the wrong decision during the pandemic, helping to fuel the price inflation we're living with now, in his final speech as RBA governor. Lowe said that lowering the interest rate to near zero, pumping money into the economy, in hindsight was a mistake. And yesterday, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese met with Chinese Premier Li Chang on the sidelines of a conference in Jakarta. Albanese used the opportunity to push for the release of Australian journalist Chung Lei, who has been held in detention for just over three years. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Sultan Fetcho, Shane Anderson, Yo Chung and Sam Loy. Our senior producer is Chris Dengate. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Sarah McVie is our head of audio. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Mixing by Andy Elston, Travis Evans and Atticus Basto. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. We'll be back next week. <laughs>